Gotcha. All right, welcome back to the Slayless Show. Uh, I have two very special guests here with me today. I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, Pat, if you want to go ahead and go first, tell everybody your social media handles, where we can find you, find more of your work, a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, I'm Pat Avalon, originally from Dallas, Texas, born and raised. Um, my work, I, I call myself a music guy. Yeah, for I call, sure. I call myself a music guy. <laughs> I run a street team, do booking for a couple of artists, work for uh, one of the biggest independent concert promoters in, this, in the state of Texas. Um, yeah. Been on, been on some tours before. Yeah, I'm a music guy. So Awesome, awesome. Uh, social media, at NASA Gang, P underscore A. They banned my last one. <laughs> they banned my last one for real. Like, I got suspended. I think it's up to like a year. Oh, wow. I got suspended. What platform is this on? Twitter. This oh, is Twitter. Oh, no. Uh, I was targeting and harassing. I was targeting and harassing. It was white supremacists, though. Like, people that hold up white ideologies and shit. So, apparently, they banned people for that. You know, you know. Yeah, know. <laughs> uh, Instagram, okay. NASA Gang, N A S A G A N G T X, and uh, Facebook, same thing, NASA Gang, N A S A G A N G. NASA Gang is the name of my street team, in case anybody's wondering. Awesome, awesome. All right, thank you. All right, Daniel. Yeah, I'm uh, Daniel Amashika, um, born and raised in Nigeria. Uh, so I'm an immigrant to the United States, lived here for about eight, eight and a half years now. Okay. Um, background in film production, um, but I, I, I pretty much dabble in a whole bunch of things. Currently, sort of focused on community development and uh, justice for marginalized communities, and that's that's kind of defined a lot of what I do over the past two, three years or so. Uh, social media handles. I'm not really on social media like that, to be honest. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, pretty much only active on Facebook, but I'm kind of in the process of a rebranding, so. I'd rather not give out my handles just yet. I feel you. But, I feel uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, awesome, yeah. awesome. Well, remember, you can always find us at The Slayless Show on Facebook to keep up with all podcast updates. Also, The Slayless Show on Instagram. Uh, again, to keep up with all podcast updates, upcoming topics, if you want to feature as a guest, so on and so forth. All right. So for the past, let's see, two or three months, we've dedicated the uh, podcast series to colorism. And talking about colorism, um, because I've seen like a recent spike. Uh, every time I kind of, I personally feel like I'm like, oh, colorism might be like going away. Like we're getting more diversity, more visibility of the types of black people that we see. Um, something happens. And it's always something that's like, oh, God, you've just been set back so far. And like, you know, I came to this realization a few years ago. I was like, you know, colorism isn't going to go anywhere because racism isn't going to go anywhere. And white supremacy, as long as it's like the predominant ideology being upheld. The racism will be in place in a system that privileges people who are closer to looking white, aesthetically, uh, I guess saying, will be in place. Um, and so I, I kind of felt like it was important to dedicate this series to talking about that for the next couple of episodes. Um, the first episode, I invited some of my friends that are darker skinned women to talk about their experiences with colorism and how it affects them and how it perceive how they're perceived in the world, how they feel like they're perceived in the world and how they perceive others. The second time I asked some of my lighter and more fair skinned friends to come in and talk about um, their experiences with colorism. And again, these are all women. And so I said to myself, you know, it would only be right if I invited black men in to come and talk about this because it affects all of us. And the way that our society is so gendered, it affects different people differently. So it affects men and women differently. 
it affects people who live under the LGBTQA umbrella a lot differently than it affects everyone else. And so I feel like, you know, I need to dedicate a stage and a platform for men to kind of talk about this and to kind of interview them and ask them some of the more pressing questions about colorism. So let's dive right in. Um, First off, what do you think is the historical significance of colorism and how has the tradition of colorism followed and further cemented itself in the black community cross-generationally? And anybody feel free to just hop in. I know that's a lot. Yeah, the first, right at the gate. <laughs> right at the gate. Um, I think that, like you, to, to piggyback off what you said a minute ago in terms of white supremacy, as long as it's a dominant ideology, you're going to have colorism regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, to answer the cross-generational question, this just crazy how it's evolved into yeah. different things from slavery, the house nigga and the porch nigga, uh, the tragic mulatto, the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the buck, the stud. Um, um, oh man, the 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 the, the feminine light skin man, mm-hmm. the tough black skin brother. Uh, oh man, I I, I can go on because it just it changes its face, and the only reason it changes its face is because our people give life to the shit. This shit don't stay alive on its own. <laughs> this shit don't stay alive on its own, and I think that hold on before. We dwell further. Yeah. I think that it's important for your listeners to know that Patrick Avahar, I am a light-skinned black man. Biracial. Okay. I can't take that away from because that's a part of my story as well. Right. Um, so my experience is my experience as a black man is going, it's gonna vary or be different from the man across this table mm-hmm. from me. Or even yours, Celestius as a black person, as a black right. woman, black man. But yeah, it's just crazy how people keep giving life to this shit. Yeah, we we've been giving life to this shit for two three hundred years now. Yeah, we understand white supremacy is a real thing now, especially now more than ever. We always understood that, but we can't keep breathing life in the shit that's poisonous to us. For sure, for sure. That's All good, right. man. That's good. Yep. So for me, I uh, I think for a lot of these issues, I often come at it from a slightly varied uh, perspective, just sort of having grown up on the continent of Africa um, and. The frame around which I understand race is slightly different, right? So um, I think examining sort of even a more global perspective on how that has shaped the way we understand one another in the world, I think that um, Europe and sort of the the, the activities of European um, empire and, and imperial powers mm-hmm. over the past four or five centuries have, you know, in very... Um, non-organic ways like shifted the color landscape of the world. You know what I'm saying? So with the trans- transatlantic slave trade, with them sort of um, translocating themselves to places like South Africa and mm-hmm. Australia and places like that, it's just it's shifted the color landscape. Whereas, you know what I'm saying, the, the color of your skin would have been um, reflective of your environment, so to speak. But with those sort of oppressive ventures, it's it, it sort of mixed that up, and a lot of it has happened in an oppressive um, dynamic mm-hmm. to where um, fair-skinned people are connected to oppressive power, right? And darker-skinned people are connected to being the oppressed. And I think that has um, just set a tone that even though it's been several centuries removed from a lot of those issues, um, it's defined the way that we understand the world. And we understand ourselves. And so even for me as a Nigerian kid, um, 
yeah, just kind of growing up with just that understanding that whiteness was um, better, was 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 connected to virtue, and it was something that, in an internalized way, I was supposed to be aspiring to be or to pursue, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. Um. I've had a lot of time to kind of dedicate to this question. And as a as an African-American woman, I guess uh, my ancestors and my ancestry. Um, I start I start I tend to think of colorism a lot of the time in a dominant way of starting here in America with the slave trade and with uh, slavery being, you know, this institution like this literally like this legal institution that exists in this country for so long. and. Um, just the, the lived experiences of people being transported from Africa, brought to a country, stripped of you know their identity, their religion, their entire culture, all their traditions, everything they held dear, and kind of being told that to be black is to be evil, is to be wrong, is to be pretty much anything negative in the world. And then as this institution, you know, slavery existed for such a long time, it doesn't stay the same over generations, so it changes. Mm-hmm. And as you see, like... Um, people of African descent and people of European descent starting to either have, uh, I guess, have relations, sexual relationships with each other and produce children. And not only that, a lot of the time, you know, these these, uh, relationships are, the children that are produced out of these relationships are children of rape. Not all the time, but um, them being pushed into this class that's not quite black but not quite white. And so they have to like kind of mold out this in-between section for them to kind of like bounce back in between and forth. So, you know, then you have the spectrum that's created where the darker you are, you're further towards the left, which is obviously the bad side. And the lighter you are, as white supremacy would tell you, you're closer to being, you know, what's um, acceptable, what's pure, what's right. You know, you're closer, you have closer associations to everything that is considered good wealth, prosperity, all these different things. And I think cross-generationally, people carry their experiences over with them, right? Like we still experience the trauma of slavery. And so I think that as time goes on, colorism being something that was born, especially in America, in slavery, is something that's kind of just like carried over. It's like in our psyche, in the black psyche, in the American psyche, that to look a certain way, to have a certain hair texture, to have a certain level of education is all associated with being white and ultimately, you know, better. Right. So. That's good. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've got to, got to a good start. So um, this is a question I haven't asked yet. And this is something that uh, I want y'all to have the freedom to just kind of take any direction. but. What do you think colorism and its existence largely says about the black community? And that can be like the American, like the black American community, um, communities of the African diaspora, like just black people in general. Like, what do you think that colorism, the fact that we in so many ways, uh, unfortunately perpetuate colorism on our, onto ourselves, what does that say about us? and? What are, the, what are some of the larger implications of the fact that colorism even exists for us and within us? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that, that's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to unpack. Um, what it says about us, 
is that we still have a lot of unlearning to do mm-hmm. as a people, primarily black Americans, primarily black Americans. Okay. Um, we have a lot of unlearning to do as a people, and it's not going to happen overnight. I think that us acknowledging it and having more conversations like this and seeing all the articles online and seeing the conversations being handled on social media is a good sign that that unlearning is starting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just when you have 300 years of systematic oppression, to piggyback off what both of y'all kind of said before, to kick it off, when you have so many years of oppression, the unlearning process, it's going to be probably just as long. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no, we can't all of a sudden in the past five, 10 years as a generation have this awakening, this social awakening, and then expect it to go away within the next five, 10 years. It may not happen in need, and we young people mm-hmm. here. It may not happen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. It may happen in your child's lifetime or their grandchild's lifetime or something like that. But I think it's more of an unlearning than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that we do need to rid ourselves of. Because I think that even when you get beyond colorism, Black folks still have a problem. Classism. It's a number the reflection of America. Yeah. Right. Color, the ref- way colors associate to class. Precisely. Mm-hmm. And the way it works. I'm a light-skinned black man. Mixed. I should be at the top of the fucking pyramid of black people, right? When it comes to opportunity, when it comes to advancement, when it comes to all that, right? Correct. Off the statistics, statistically speaking. I don't have a degree, though. I never graduated school. So statistically speaking, my threshold Income is going to be, what, 50K? Max out? Mm-hmm. There are black folks darker than me and you, darker than you, Celeste, mm-hmm. that's educated, multi-six-figure salaries that look down on other black folks because they aren't of the same means as them. Mm-hmm. So I think colorism has to, we got to do something about it. It's a slow process. And even once we unlearn that, it's another whole another level of complexity in classism that we have to approach you. That's some shit we really don't talk about as black people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 good, man. I think um the way the way that I see it, man, is um it just reflects that we're human. Um in the sense that I I don't particularly subscribe to the to the idea that, you know, black people have unique characteristics of virtue that um are unique to us that don't exist among other human beings. So okay. the fact that we reflect these issues just shows that just like any other human being, we are shaped by our environment. You know what I'm saying? But I think um, the flip of that, though, you know, like what 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 makes somebody human is the fact that we are able to be shaped by our environment, but then we can also shape our environment. You know, mm-hmm. like we have the ability to actually change things about our environment that we don't find to be conducive or meaningful or productive towards our goals. And so, like you were saying, though, being able to be aware of the ways in which we've been shaped by our history, by the uh, power dynamics rooted into the ways that we evolved as a people in different parts of the world, and what that means for the future is like, if if the way it's currently set up just does not make sense and doesn't sort of carry everyone along, then we've got to do something about it. You right? think that change won't happen in our lifetime? Um, I think it can. Um, just just because of, I think, how interconnected we all are and how I think there's a quickening of pace because of technology and so many other things to where issues that would have taken, you know, 50, 60 years, a century ago, you know, it's just shortened that time span. So I think that there is a sort of a 
group think almost in a positive way that allows a shift in a lot of these cultural issues to be possible. Yeah. I don't know if it'll, it'll be in our lifetime though, but yeah, I think I am hopeful in that regard. Um, great things on both of y'all on both y'all's part. Um, I think I really like what you said about colors and being tied to class because uh, just recently I've just kind of been examining more and more um, how race is a tool of classism. And even when you talk about colorism here in America, like even talking about, you know, the house nigga versus the field nigga, that's just, that's a question and that's an issue of class. Yeah. That's an issue of like who right. has more access to material wealth and to material well-being and who has less access yep. to it. So I think that that's, um, I really like that thread and I think we should revisit that for sure later on. And I think, um, I also like what you said about there being a quickening of pace. It's a question I have later on, and I won't dive too much into it because I don't want us to spend some time on it. But the fact that social media is such a huge platform for our generation and for the generations after us, and even for you know many of the generations before us, being able to like have a space where you can talk to people across the world about these issues, mm-hmm. whereas you know 20, 25 years ago, you wouldn't have had that. You wouldn't have access to those types of things, and being able to like see all this different visibility, all these different hashtags all these things that are so empowering that promote like different people in different types of experiences and different people that look, look different and have, you know, different lived experiences is really powerful because what it does, it broadens our scope about how we think and talk about these issues, you know? And so I think that ultimately I am hopeful. I'm very optimistic as well that that's something, I don't know if it will happen so we're talking about, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years of oppression. Hundreds, right, right. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime, but I'm hopeful that as we exist and as we talk about these issues and we breathe life into this dialogue, that it does quicken the pace and it sets the stage for people coming after us to like build off of what we said and to create a more equitable world for people, no matter what, you know, their skin color is perceived as by the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Okay. Because the thing about with colorism and man, black man, a lot of colorism, a, well, a lot of black man indulge in a lot of tokenism when it comes to colorism in the United States of America. Because mm-hmm. black men are always, we're the first, we get the first pickings of anything after the white people done with this shit. <laughs> the black man is going to be the first one to come along. Not the black woman, not the Hispanic man, not the whoever, whatever other race you can name. Gonna be the black man, the way that the social pyramid is set up, we next in line. And what happens is you get a lot of tokenism by default. Mm-hmm. A black man who's the only one in the room because he may have been the only black man where he's from to have access or to get lucky enough to get where he at, where he's at, mm-hmm. or in a room full of predominantly white people. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So by default, you got a lot of tokenism going on um, with black men and a lot of, it's just weird too, because I gave a lot of thought to it. A lot of, you good? <laughs> yes, someone put this down here so we don't hurt anybody. Okay. A lot of, uh, your worth and value is tied to your masculinity a lot in the black community. As a black man, the age-old theory or the age-old role of being a provider, being able to grow the community, being able to add to the community. So automatically, as a black man, you're automatically, uh, it's it's inquired or implied that you're supposed to be a provider, automatically. 
Mm-hmm. In order to be a provider, you got to have access to resources. You got to have a good network. You got to know people that's going to give you a job. You got to know people that's going to spend money with you. You got to know people that's going to continue the flow of the economy within your community. If you're a black man, you don't have access to a network or the resources, or you can't afford to go to school, or you can't afford to go work at the law firm, or you can't afford to do whatever the fuck. There's a psychological impact that goes on with that. Mm-hmm. It goes on with that. You know what I'm saying? Because you feel inadequate because you can't provide for the community that you say you represent because you were never given the first shape to have a chance at some of those. Some of us do. Mm-hmm. Some of us do. This is not a, uh, I'm not making a broad statement, right, right, right. you know what I'm saying? But some of, of us do. And that's why I said, some of us are the few black men who do get to these corporate offices and who do get to these other spaces that we rarely in, right. and they represent us. It's a lot of pressure on them brothers as well, you know what I'm saying? Right. But when you start adding other shit into colorism, like I said, network, access, opportunity, that turns all that shit upside down. All that shit upside down. And that's why I say this shit takes a new face all the time. Every few, few 50, 60, 70 years, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was as simple. At one point in time, it was as simple as light skin, dark skin. Mm-hmm. It was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Even amongst today with women and colorism, a large proponent of what the issue is, is light skin, dark skin. Mm-hmm. When you get to talking about men, the shit's different. Yeah, mm-hmm. because of the gender, like just the way our society is gendered and like so many of the expectations that come with like masculinity and what's considered to be masculine. Yeah, and like I said, uh, uh, the the ideology of the black man being the provider mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the nuclear family. Like I said, coming out the womb, it's damn near like your worth is tied to what you bring to the table. But so so in, in that line, how how does that shape um, or how does the color of one's skin impact? I guess the way that one carries that. Um, expected role as being the provider or, or what have you. I think that if you, look, all right, use me for example. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to school. If if I had a family, I'd be struggling like a motherfucker, bruh. I'd be a, a $40,000, $45,000 nigga trying to raise two kids and a wife and all that shit. That's a lot of pressure because I wasn't given the opportunity to go to a place to better myself um, just because of where I was from. It's socioeconomics more than anything. It has nothing to do with the light skin, mm-hmm. dark skin thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing mm-hmm. is that I, I, when I got involved in politics, I realized that I started realizing that, yo, colorism has really taken on a new shape because the light skin, dark skin shit, me being light skin don't get me in no door, bro. That shit don't get me in no door personally. And then once I open my mouth, that shit's even worse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's why I, when people say light skin, I remember one time I seen a statistic, this girl said, light skin judges is statistically proof, talking out her ass, is statistically proven that light skinned men get lesser sentences than dark skinned brothers and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that, that, that sounds likely to me, bro. Are you serious, bro? It, it actually I does. Want, I want, this is what I want you to do. <laughs> when I go to court February 20th, <laughs> When I go to court, I want you to stand there with me. I mean, and let's see what sentence we get, bro. I got, I got, I got brothers, cousins lighter than me. Of course, I mean, there's there, there are people that will buck the rule, but I mean, like if we're talking about on a trend level, going back to what you were talking about, there about like who is who is regarded as safe, who is regarded as just sort of based on their aesthetic, right? Looking as threatening, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think across the board. Um, 
you know, who fits the um, description, quote unquote. More often than not, it's folks that are dark skinned that 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 fit those paradigms. And so, um, even going back to even being biracial and sort of being connected to a part of the American system that could potentially be privileged in a way that being dark skinned shows that your mom and dad are black um, and are often not as connected to privilege. The people coming through a courtroom, right? The judge looking at those 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 different people coming through a courtroom is already developing a, a bias towards dark skinned people and the assumption of being criminals, the assumptions of being guilty. I think can play out in how um, the, the punishment is being doled out based on the color of skin. But I mean, of course, over over a, a dark a light skinned brother, I would say yeah. No, nah, I say no. I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't have the numbers. I don't have the figures, but it, those numbers it just don't sounds exist. it just sounds right to me. It but sounds, you could be right. We though. can't make progress like this. <laughs> we can't make we can't make progress like this because we got to get down to the actual facts. Yeah, we yeah, got to yeah. get down to the shit that's really happening. But, but I will say, like, because this actually, like, except, like, okay, like. Colorism is this funny thing because within within that pool of colorism, but let's be very clear, be mm-hmm. very clear. White supremacy hates us all. Oh, they hate us all. Yeah, they hate and, us all. And, and right? you know what? I was going. You kind of. I was going to say that. I, I was going to say that. The reason I chose to identify as black, I didn't choose this shit. Motherfuckers treated me like I was black. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you, see, and that's that's what I that's, that's what I want to say is because like within like. White supremacy hates us all. Like they have well-documented rules of like a one-drop rule makes you black. Like, yeah. No matter what, uh-huh. like, yeah. right, if right. you're if you're you know whatever amount of black you have in you, you're black. Right. Now, what I'm interested in with this conversation about colorism, what I want to see and what I want us to like delve into is it oppresses us, but it oppresses us differently. Right. So I want to say is this is like okay. Say you have a darker skinned man. Now he's going to be oppressed off the gate because he's black. They look at him like, oh, that's a nigger, a nigger ER. So like, no matter where, where you exist in that spectrum of black, you, you're, you know, to them, you're nothing more than that. Now they'll look at you and say the same thing. And this doesn't make your oppression any less to me. Does it make it any more palatable? Does it make it any more acceptable? But they'll look at him like, oh, well, He's the good, maybe he's the good kind of nigger. And so it's like, okay, like you like take both of them. Neither one is equal to you. Uh-huh. You don't care about either one. Right. At the end of the day, they're both oppressed, but you oppress them in different ways. And I think what that says about white supremacy is not that, not that we as black people should be looking at each other like who's more oppressed and who's right. more oppressed here. Because it's not the oppression Olympics, right? We're, but we're all oppressed and we all exist in this system that exists to like deny our rights and deny our humanity. But it's more so, why are they oppressing us in different ways? And how does that cause us to relate to each other? Yeah, right. So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree. We all under this umbrella at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which, so part of this series, I took quotes, stories, and stuff from people. And one of the things that we came across, especially when I was talking to... Uh, it was it was strange because out of all the women I interviewed, we're all like super, super educated, which is cool. Okay, like so we're all educated. Now within education comes, you know, different levels of privilege because mm-hmm. of the way you speak, 
or your yeah. credentials, the way people look at your resume, like, oh, well, you've done this, this and that, or you must be this, this and that. But then also like on the other spectrum, you have what you look like as well. And so what I, I thought was interesting is I had so many stories and quotes and just all this different stuff pouring about people being told like, oh, well, well, yeah, you're black, but you're not like them. Right. And usually, usually <laughs> this is being thrown to people who are either educated or they look a certain way. And so it doesn't matter, like if you're educated, like it doesn't really matter what you look like, right? Yeah, yeah. Which kind of ties back into the class. But then on the physical and the aesthetic side, you have people saying like, oh, well, you know, like I have like really loose curly hair. Well, you know, my coworker, who I also happen to be really good friends with, has like really kinky, forcey hair. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, even though we're both at the same level of education or so or, you know, whatever the case may be, I feel like my white coworkers will, have, will be more comfortable being exploitive towards me and my hair than they would with her because they feel like they can do that with me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask a question, like, how does appearance, um, to me, I mean, to me, that sounds like textbook oppression. Like, you think yeah. you can say certain things to me because I look a certain way and because mm-hmm. you feel you've made up in your mind that because my skin is a certain color that I must be safer to talk to. Right. So I just want to get y'all's thoughts on uh, those types of situations, those scenarios. Have you ever encountered anything like that? Um, and I know that we're both, we're all coming at this from very unique perspectives. Like, I know, like, mm-hmm. um, this is something I've recently come across in the past couple of years, but, like, I've I've routinely heard, and I don't know how true this is because I'm not... I'm not Nigerian. I'm not African in the sense that like I can mm-hmm. directly tie my ancestry back to a country in Africa. Mm-hmm. But I've routinely heard uh, and what just come across <laughs> no, <laughs> that <laughs> white people tend to they tend to be more comfortable with people who are actually can like African. And see, I don't, yeah, and see, yeah, I don't want to yeah, say yeah. actually African because I feel like we're, we're like we're all African. Yeah, but like yeah, yeah, yeah I got you uh-huh. because they, uh, the stigma is that they're more educated. Uh-huh. They're more put together. Yeah, they're more yeah, yeah. in so many different ways. Right. right. And I feel like you know exactly where I'm going <laughs> with this conversation. I, I, no, yeah, 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 absolutely. And I mean, I think that was a lot of trying to make sense of all of that was part of my um, racial identity development, so to mm-hmm. speak, um, just because I didn't really have a well-formed conception of what race was until I moved to the States. And I was like, well, like, um, how do I fit within the categories that exist that um, have not really made room for me, so to speak? You know what I'm saying? For like, sure, for sure. I hadn't, I hadn't really, um, I didn't, I didn't have a developed concept of what being black was. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I was Nigerian. I was Yoruba. Those were sort of the buckets of identity that I that I recognized that felt represented who I was. Mm-hmm. And so coming here and just sort of having this huge sort of catch-all category of just black, and I'm like. I'm black, sure, like we share the same skin color, but culturally we're very, very different, yeah, you know. Sure. And so, how do I, how do I fit within that? And then quickly recognizing that there were a lot of um, negative connotations to being black. I'm like, okay, hold up now, like mm-hmm. I don't think I want to be black like that, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, like that was my um, initial thought. But then also the effect of, you know, um, Nigeria having been colonized by the British. Um, mm-hmm. is, is not something that I think for my generation um, growing up that our parents or our education system or society in general really helped us to unlearn. And so there were just sort of norms and trends that I just sort of picked up that were 
incredibly Eurocentric. Mm-hmm. And I internalized the notion that that was the way to be in the world. And so coming here, like, I mean, I remember um, just, you know, this was this was before, like, wearing clothes that were a lot more fitted was in style. I feel like everyone is wearing fitted pants and shirts now. But, like, back then, like, folks still had baggy clothes on. Like, a lot of black folks had baggy clothes on. But my fashion style was a lot more fitted. It was a lot more Eurocentric. And so, like, I, I remember freshman year in college and, like, people being able to pick out that I wasn't, like, African-American. Yeah, I remember that. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember when I first hit, because uh, we went to school. I went to school in Dallas. We, went to, we had Africans there, but they weren't. They were, like, Americans. Okay. The first time I seen, like, what you described, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. is when uh, I went to U of H. My mom was blown, bro. That was really the first time that I met, like, other Black people mm-hmm. that like, yeah, I just came from Nigeria or I just came from the Caribbeans or whatever the case it may be. So yeah, you're right, bro. Like yeah, to play yeah, into yeah. what you said. Right, right. Yeah. And so like, so in, in trying to make sense of that, I know that um I felt um I think I felt a lot more comfortable with white people at first. Mm-hmm. I think because I couldn't make sense of the kind of blackness that I was encountering. Um, but then I think also that's a whole like, lot going on. It there's, just, yeah, like, there's, like, a lot. There's, there's, <laughs> I'm telling you, bro. Like it was, it was a really conflicting thing, um, especially coming to it in college, bro. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like at that age where you're really trying to make sense of your own identity and the world and your place in the world and all of that. But um, yeah, I know that um, at my first job, I quickly recognized that when people heard my Nigerian accent, because Initially coming, I had a much stronger Nigerian accent, right? Like I was, uh, I was a shift manager then, and people just wouldn't believe that I was a manager. Like they would ask for, like, "Where's your manager?" I'm like, "I'm the manager." Mm-hmm. Like, nah, I want to talk to this white girl. And I'm like, "Are y'all, are y'all serious?" <laughs> so like, I, I I quickly picked on the fact that your proximity to whiteness um, was a benefit for you. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "All right, I'm a, I'm a sound as white as I can." Like mm-hmm. every time I'm talking on the phone, every time I'm treating a customer. And like I could see the difference, so I think at that naive level, I just was like, "Listen, like as white normative, as white adaptive as I can be in this society, the better it is for me." And like that was that was my thing for like a good two years. Like I just I just didn't mess with black folks like that. Um, and then I think I I quickly realized the, the foolishness of it, mm-hmm. and then kind of did a, a a huge switch the other the other direction. But yeah, that was. That was my experience coming into it. Okay. So I guess I would like to, I guess, leverage the same question with you is um, being um, a biracial man. um, And just like, have you ever had anybody? And you're from East Dallas, right? Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff. Okay. So see, I feel like that also changes like the dynamics of like. Oak Cliff, Pleasant Grove. Yeah. Yeah. So that changes the dynamics also of like uh, probably your interactions with um, white people, uh, people who subscribe to like colorist ideologies and how they perceive you. So I'm interested, like, have you ever encountered situations where people felt like for any reason you might be safer because of your skin being much lighter than like, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, now the socioeconomic part of it, we can sit all day and argue about it. I can tell you the difference between light skin, dark skin, mm-hmm. and the, the judicial system we can do, but what you're talking about right now, oh mm-hmm. yes, 
Absolutely. It's the most pathetic shit ever. <laughs> it's pathetic. Like, you know, um, I, I have been the safe liaison for black people or a group of black people whenever <laughs> we in public. I have been the go-to guy that they talk to uh -huh. when we in public. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't realize it until I was older, you know. Mm -hmm. um, like like he said a minute ago, like when you when using using your whiteness as a black person, mm -hmm. it, it can kind of get you far in this country. It's sad as like like subscribing to white shit, it kind of gets you far. Like, and that shit's sad. You know what I'm saying? It, it shouldn't be like that. But yeah, like I knew that had value. I didn't know it was a bad thing, though. I just thought it was people being friendly, people want to talk to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you had the juice. Yeah, I had the fucking juice. I had the juice. I was bamboozled the whole time. But like, it wasn't until I got older that I realized what it was. And like, you know, once you realize that shit, and then you realize that oh, this is just a system. It's systematic. You 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 step back, and you should you should have been like, yo, how the fuck did I not see this? How did I not, especially somebody that was born and raised here, how did I not see this shit was going to happen? Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's funny you say that you you ran into a plethora of blackness while you in college. Mm -hmm. A lot of black Americans that live here, we don't find what I would call our awakening, our black awakening. <laughs> Until we start, that's you, you can you can come sign with this right on my line. A lot of us don't start to read our own history and come into our own self and find out who we are as black people until we get to college. Shoot. Mm -hmm. You know, so once I start doing my research and, you know, looking up shit and putting myself into perspective and where I fit in on the color wheel mm -hmm. circle, you know, it shit made sense. All of it made sense. But yes, I definitely been there at work, in the music shit. Uh, everywhere, mm -hmm. every fucking everywhere. Yeah, so for me, um, I'm actually from like a small city in West Texas called Abilene. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's really yeah. only famous because of an Air Force base in Abilene Christian Hardin Simmons. It's like a college town. <laughs> yeah, like a small, yeah, like, yeah. So it's a town full of young people. Um, I kind of grew up in a household where my mom always pushed my sister and I to like, you know, pursue education because, you know, back then uh, we were being told... <laughs> And people are still being told that education is the cure-all. Right. Like, go get a degree yep. because if you get it, you know, that's how you'll make it to whatever level that mm -hmm. you're supposed to be aspiring to make it, which I still don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> but um, I would say my, my acceptance, I don't think, ever really came from appearance. Well, actually, you know what? I'll take that back because my mom was specifically concerned she and my grandmother i was raised with my mom my grandmother and my grandfather and literally like our house is right here down the street was my grandparents house i literally bounced back and forth all the way up into like my junior year of college that's pretty much that was like my you know my support system and um they were particularly you know concerned with my sister and i being very well groomed and so mm. we spoke a certain way we looked a certain way and I never really associated, like, the fact that I thought that white people liked me because I was smart. You know, I was like, oh, I'm a smart kid. Like, that's why they like me. And it never really occurred to me that, oh, you know what? They probably like me because I look a certain way. I sound a certain way. Then I started to realize, I said, you know, damn, like, I look a certain way. I sound a certain way. All of my friends are lighter than me. So even if I'm not light, I'm being associated with what they think is acceptable, mm -hmm. yeah. what they think is safe, what they think is, you know, oh, well, she's a good black girl. She's the black girl that's going to go to college. She's the one that, you know, goes to church. And I did all of those things. And I was, you know, very much a part of my identity. 
very much a part of who I was. But um, it was I didn't really come into terms with that until, you know, I got to college. I would say I've always been very aware of racism. I knew what racism was because I experienced it being from, you know, a very small conservative West Texas town and getting to college, you know, becoming involved. Like I immediately joined, you know, all these different organizations, these feminist organizations, these organizations um, that had to do with like, you know, young black people mobilizing and coming together. I was a president of the NAACP and it wasn't until I started like getting into like those roles that I noticed that like, you know, people will take what you aesthetically, what your perception is to the outside world and use it for their own means or use it for what they feel mm-hmm. makes them comfortable. Right. And so even in being in those roles, I was like, you know, like we're the NAACP, like we should be doing this. We should be doing that. Like we should be out here. And then, you know, getting like calls from like <laughs> nationals, like, Oh, well we don't actually want you to do that. No, we don't really want you. We don't actually No, It's not really, we'd rather like, you know, you take a more, I'm like, well, isn't this like, you know, isn't that what we're here for? Yeah, mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started really understanding that, you know, a lot of this is associated to respectability politics. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And respectability politics are inevitably intertwined with colorism mm-hmm. and entwined with like what people want to see and the image they want to project. Right. And um, that to me was one of the most revealing and oppressive times in my life. Cause I was like, well, you know, what are we here for if all we're doing is upholding systems that were designed, you know, to oppress us in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think even even building on that, I've noticed that the the generation before us, by and large, in many ways, still subscribes to the, you know, respectability politics and sort of needing to polish an image that is acceptable and presentable to sort of a white normative societal structure. Mm-hmm. And so absolutely people that are dark skinned is like you can't you can't be as vocal as you naturally would want to be, you need to be, you know, groomed and, 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 and speak with some level of deference. It's like makeup. Yes. Makeup for your lack of, you know, looking like, um, a person who was white. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. I kind of want to tie these next two questions in together. So media wise, do you uh, notice an absence of diversity in the mainstream black men that are represented it? And you can say that, Representative, <laughs> represented. Can you can? Uh, I mean, I, I'd like you to like kind of like talk talk about this through the lens of colorism, but you can also talk about it through the lens of like respectability politics. Like once again, I said all this stuff is kind of like tied in together, and like what uh, what's I guess most marketable in mainstream media, in movies, in television, in music, in you know, even I mean, shit, we got male Instagram models now. So I mean, like. <laughs> All this stuff that's like being um, put onto like this mainstream platform for us to see. Like, do you guys notice an absence of adversity in these men being represented? No. No? I don't. Okay. I don't. You got every black man the color of the rainbow on TV. Okay. I do. I mean, I will say that the the black man from the LGBT community is very underrepresented. For sure, that's what I will say. Mm. For sure, but if we talking about straight hetero black man, light mm. skinned man, brown skinned man, we all over this motherfucker, man. Whether you talking about Don Lemon, whether you talking about our former president, whether you talking about uh, Chag with uh, what's his name, Bob Bozeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who's playing Black Panther, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You talking about him? Like, I can. Oh my God, but Michael B. Jordan. I can. Like, we all right. over the place. Right. We are all over the place. But like I said, the LGBTQ black man, that is 
somebody who is vastly underrepresented. I, I was waiting for when we're going to see, uh, I mean, some type of representation. Like because, because, because black men, <laughs> black men don't like to include the gay black man in the black man conversation. Baffling to me. We, yes. we, yeah, I don't understand. Like, mm. I don't want to be fucking, I'm going to say, I mean, not, not trying to just sound totally harsh, but if you're a black man and you have a penis, no matter what you stick it into, you're still a black man at the end of the day, bro. So that means you still suffer from the same oppressive systems and things set in place that I do, no matter your gender orientation. Now, that's the only person I will cap for is the, is the and I'm, I'm not... I don't, I'm not a, no advocate of the LGBT community, just an observer. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's the answer to the question. Straight mm-hmm. black man? Nah, we all over the place. Gay black man? Nah, it's not many. Okay. Yeah, okay. I would, I would, I mean, I think I've, I've definitely noticed uh, a uh, disparity between black men and women when it comes to representation. I think that there's a lot more, um, just a broad uh, representation of, of blackness. Mm-hmm. When it comes to males, I think it's a lot more acceptable, mm-hmm. whether it's in music, Hollywood, online, or what's, you know, what have you. You know, what's attractive, you love the dark-skinned ebony man, and you also love the light-skinned male. I think with women, there is a disparity. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I think that when it comes to the issue of, um, that we're talking about, I think men do have a sense of privilege in that sense. Um, at least on mainstream mainstream platforms, so yeah. to speak. You know, I actually, um, I think y'all both said something really illuminating, the fact that there is such a broad spectrum. I've often noticed that too. Like, I mean, as a black woman or any woman, like no matter what type of black man you like, you have plenty to choose from, right? And so I've noticed that. And what I think is interesting um, is, you know, you have all these like different little like colloquialisms and sayings and stuff that have come up over the past couple of years, like, Oh, dark skinned men are in or light skinned men are in. And like, you know, it's one of those things where you literally have like a spectrum of black men. But when you see black women, it's much, much different. And so I guess the next question I would have to say is like, uh, do you feel like what are some of the stereotypes that are associated with black men, like on either side of the color spectrum, like in between the like really, really light skinned black men, the really dark skinned black men, the people who kind of exist, I guess. People who would be brown, which I never understood that spectrum anyways, but the people who kind of exist in between. What are some of like the different stereotypes? And you can, I, I mean, I'm asking this from like a, a dating perspective or romantic perspective, but you can also expand this however you'd like to as well. Stereotypes. Uh, like I said earlier, the feminine light skin nigga. The Drake. <laughs> the, the Drake. Drake. The Drake. Drake's. The Drake's. Drake's uh, the world, man. The Morris Chestnut black man. Okay. You know what I'm saying? The Mandingo black man. Yes, that is. Idris, Idris the, Elba. The, yes. The, uh-huh. Yeah, the, 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 the Barack Obama light-skinned husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? What else? What? And, and it's kind of mixed and matched with black men. Like I said, it's not as clear cut mm-hmm. as it is with like women as it is with us. Mm-hmm. It, it's mixed and matched. So you could be the hood light-skinned nigga. Or the soft dark skinned nigga. You can it's like it's such a wide variety that the stereotypes are fucking endless, man. Do you it's, think that men have more privilege when it comes to like being able to kind of like 
fit themselves into the, into like those different types of molds as opposed to women do? Yes. Okay. Because it, ben- <laughs> it benefits men more. And like, if you're talking about in the dating perspective, it okay. benefits them more. It benefits them more. Like if I really wanted to be a grimy, if I wasn't engaged or whatever and I was out here in the dating pool... <laughs> I can I can be the hood light skinned nigga. I can be the white light skinned nigga. I can be the the you. I can be fucking Huey P. Newton. Like I can be whatever. Like <laughs> it, 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 there's there's a woman out there that wants each one of them niggas. Yeah. Mm. Each one of them niggas. It okay. really is, man. I'm gonna let my man right here. So, I, know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think I think I would affirm a lot of what you're saying. Um, but. To uh to your point earlier though, I do think that there's like a there's a there's a middle region. It's like you're not you're not like the dark, big buck type character. Mm-hmm. And you're not the light skin. And sometimes I feel like I, I fit into that mold, right? It's like you're just kind of in the middle between these opposites and like we don't exactly know where to place you, right? Mm-hmm. And then there can be a sense to where you're actually trying to perform that expectation is like. Do you want yes. to turn up your light skinness? Yes. Turn it down. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what I'm saying? Because like that 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 happens all the time. Like yeah. with, you know when me and the boys go out or whatever. There's a sense of you're performing a particular expectation of either what you look like, and so you want to dress the part because you recognize that women sort of are making these connections about you know just based off of your aesthetic, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of um, I think just within the dating circle, so to speak, um, a lot of men can tend to want to play up some of these character traits based yeah. on the way they look or their, their their aesthetic. And that's another layer of complexity for the colorism thing for men is because you got a lot of niggas out here who don't know who the fuck they are. You yeah. got grown men right. that's 25, 26, 27, 28, mm-hmm. that because they know that there's a, oh, yeah, man, she'll look. She, she one of them RC chicks, man. Let me act like fucking Basquiat. Or <laughs> let me act like fucking Fred Hampton today to be on my Black Power shit. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. Like, that's how hard niggas go. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And in the mix of all that, niggas get to an age and they don't, internally, they don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. You don't know who you are. They played this role you, or like, this character for so yeah, long. Yeah, right? you played this role. I mean, role. okay, but like, to flip it though, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Just, just to make this conversation even more interesting though. Um, I do feel like there is, there can be that expectation from women as well. Like, in the sense that, like... Yeah, 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 they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, that's they, another layer. You, you know didn't flip it. You added another layer to the <laughs> shit. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's complex. It's yeah, like... It is, you, it is. There is an expectation to perform a particular kind of guy yep. um, based on what we've consumed in media, Instagram, all whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, yeah, so it's... it's, it's yeah, complex. I mean, I think y'all spoke to a lot of the different ways. I think... Uh, both genders. I'm going to ask you this question in a second, but I definitely think um, you guys actually kind of answered the first part for me. Just the different ways that you think women, black women, perpetuate colorism onto black men by expecting them. But I think a lot of that is just tied into gender and like what's considered to be ultimately masculine and what's considered right. to be feminine. And so, I mean, um, it's just so it's just so complex because you have. You have the conversations like, oh, well, I want to be with somebody who's like light so my kids will look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Then you have the ones who are like, oh, well, I want to be with like, you know, a dark black man because his dick is probably big. Right, like just all sorts right. of like, all sorts it's of like really that. wild ass it's shit. Wild ass. So, um, I guess the question I want to flip, I'm not actually am going to flip the question, is how do you think black men perpetuate colorism onto black women? Mm. And so we've already kind of spoken to like media. And how um, 
for black women, it's either you're light or you're dark a lot of the time, right? Or you have those certain outliers, like, uh, what was the outlier for me? And this, I mean, shit, like people younger than us wouldn't even know. Like, I think Lauren Hill was kind of an outlier. Like, Lauren mm-hmm. Hill was like, like this deep brown, beautiful woman, but nobody really gave a fuck because they were so concerned with like her music and her talent. So it right, never really like right, her, right. her, like the shade of her complexion really never came to be like this really um, contested thing. Mm-hmm. I would say also like, um, I, I kind of feel weird calling her an outlier because I feel like Beyonce is considered to be like the quintessential light-skinned black woman. Like, she, you know, she's Creole. She's from, mm-hmm. you know, Houston. But I also feel like she's another person that because she's so beloved by the black community that we don't really like take into, we don't always take into account, you know, her complexion. Right. But um, what are the, some of the various, yeah, I mean, like, what are some of the various ways you feel like men, black men perpetuate colorism onto black women when it comes to just like the stereotypes, not even just dating. Cause I mean, I've heard some really wild shit said by black men mm-hmm. about black women. And I'm just like, what the, mm-hmm. f- what the fuck? But what are your thoughts about that? What do y'all? Uh, classism plays into that. Mm-hmm. Niggas attain a certain amount of success yes, okay. and start thinking a certain kind of way. You really don't know the true character of a man, any man across the board, black man, whatever. You don't know the true character of a man until he amasses a certain amount of money or more money than he had before. That's when the real motherfucker comes out. And I've seen this shit play time and time again. Black man get on, get a certain amount of money. I don't date this kind. I don't date that kind. Right. And the new age perpetuation is... I'm going to get me a black woman from the Dominican Republic. Let me go get a black woman from Brazil. Let me go get a black woman from wherever the fuck, but not a black American woman as if she's tainted or some Mm -hmm. wild shit like that. I've seen black men use black women from other places that they deem exotic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's definitely plays into... Yeah, and try to compare them side to side with black women here. That's how I've noticed it. The modern era, like... because. More men, like I said, more black men have more access to things than any other black man had in the past. You got more of us going to college, black women too. But traveling, traveling, like all of that. So yeah. when you got us doing more shit, we see more things. Mm-hmm. And if you keep, if you keep, you know, the mindset of oppression when you go up to these other places and all the ignorance shit tied in there, that's what you get today. Mm-hmm. Black men going to the Dominican Republic because they tired of black women in America. Black men going to Cuba, Puerto Rico, like I said, Brazil, or somewhere where they deem exotic mm-hmm. to, to, to go find them a wife or a girlfriend or an old lady, whatever the case it may be. Yeah, 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 man. It's, it's, um, there's actually several ways that I look at it. I think one, just in the sense that because of sort of the ways that our pop culture is defined, black men are a lot more visible. So through sports, you know, music, entertainment, mm-hmm. um, comedy, and like, like you're saying, though, once you gain that level of success, you're in new circles and it all feels new. It's access to people and models that you've never, never you know, you wouldn't have dreamt. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a lot more um, progress and success in those realms than black women have been granted. And so you're just going to want to be connected to that stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's stuff that you would have never dreamed you would have had access to. And then that has in turn created a, a, a norm to where. The basketball players are dating, you know, Hispanic women or white women and yada, yada, yada. And it becomes the expectation that 
as a sign of success, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're paired up with someone who is light-skinned or or white. Or exotic. Or, you know what I'm yeah, saying? That kind of yeah. exotic black, quote For unquote. sure. And I yeah. would even add, being in that pool, being in that, you know, that, that area of access and the women that you have access to, I feel like a lot of the time they're going to be lighter women because lighter women have more access to material wealth right. like yeah. along that spectrum. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and the flip of that is like, I mean, looking historically, right, um, black men, you know what I'm saying, there's been two sides of that coin to where we've been demonized. There's also a fetish around sort of speak the, the image. I mean, I think it, it exists on, on, on both sides. Really. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, but the way that expresses itself is that um, sort of when you're the token black guy, mm-hmm. um, women throw themselves at you. They do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The O.J. Simpsons. Right. You I, know love, I'm like, I love using him. I always love using him. <laughs> yeah, he's him. a perfect example. Right, mm-hmm. right. And you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm, I'm involved in white evangelical spaces mm-hmm. um, with some of the work I do. And the church that I go to is a predominantly white church. And it's like, that was something that I recognized was just a trend in a lot of black men in those spaces. Seven out of 10 of them are either paired up with white women or biracial women. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And me being in that space and recognizing that, okay, like I have to be intentional about who I allow my attention to be given to and whose attention I receive because I recognize that I'm a token in this space. And it's so easy to just kind of just meld into that into that uh, realm. And quite frankly, black women are just not as well received in those spaces as black men would be. Yeah. And black men have been. And I think that that has shaped that dynamic to where um, over time, black men have just sort of made a connection to virtue and beauty and sort of wife material and all that, all that junk. Yes, yes, you know, absolutely. As, as, yeah. as whiteness. But then hip hop culture has also had a lot um, Hell yeah. To do with that, <laughs> the yellow bone, right? Mm-hmm. Light skinned women and rap lyrics, you know, throughout the 2000s, which was when I was really consuming a lot of hip hop um, music videos. Like, if if we watch music videos from like the 2000s, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Most of the women in there that were, you know, that were sort of presented as beautiful, as to be desired, were light skinned women. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's. If if we if we go to the nineties, it might be a little different. If we go yeah. more recent, I yeah. think there's been a shift. But like the things that we consume that sort of shaped, you know, what we're trying to sort of break out of now has been an obsession with 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 light skinned women. Yeah. And I think that's that shaped how we 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 value um women, black women in that sense. Yeah. For sure. Um I just love what y'all said so much about class. I think that's uh one of the things that ties in the most just for my uh my observations with ties in the most with how colorism is kind of perpetuated amongst black women by black men is that this idea, you said it perfectly, this idea of like the wife, like being like the virtuous, like the idea of like virtue and femininity. And I mean, all this ties back into like, you know, the proximity to whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so like, um, obviously black women, like, you know, Darker black women are kind of associated with like, you know, like the welfare queen aesthetic, mm-hmm. like the whole yeah, um, yeah. not really being like the girl that you would sleep with, but you wouldn't actually like, you know, marry. And I've, I've seen this right. in so many different ways, perpetuated yeah. in so many different ways. Even like you said, in hip hop culture, like um, 
the light skinned woman and the dark skinned woman being pitted against each other. Right. Like in right. various situations and scenarios, as far as like her being uh, the dark skinned woman being like, you know, considered to be like lower class. And then, you know, like you wanting to look a certain way, wanting to appeal a certain way to like, you know, your peers, you obviously need the woman who's more fair skinned to like kind of, you know, fit that mold. Mm. So I guess, um, how do you guys feel about the word preference? Because I feel like a lot of the time, <laughs> I hate that word, but I feel like a lot of the time this conversation boils down to, with black women and black men, just colorism boils down to either whose feelings have been hurt the most, who was bullied the most, <laughs> yeah. or, um, you know, well, that's just my preference. Right, yeah. right. And what I, personally, for me, I would like to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Um, first of all, let me say this. this. This is a fact. Black men get chastised for preference. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Black women is jokey. Did it very much so? <laughs> it's jokey. No, no, like, this is like oh, okay. absolutely, okay. absolutely. It is jokey. It's it's, oh, it's, it's 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 um. It's even with the sisters I was into last on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. I heard that shit. I heard mm-hmm. the. Yes. And, and it was like, <laughs> what was it? What was it? She, they, 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 this got brought up, bro. They were talking about uh, how the light skin, I, uh, <laughs> I just love me some dark skin, man. I date a light skin, man. I ain't got no problem, right. but I love yeah. light skin. And it was kind of jokey, lighthearted, but I was like, nah, there's <laughs> truth in that. You can't laugh that shit off. Okay. Mm. You can't. See, the thing about us is we. Throw it in black women's faces. Uh, nah, yeah, you got to be like this, the white feet, the blah, blah, blah. And I think that's why we get our ass scorned now mm. in 2018, whenever the fuck we said, oh, I like this type of woman, that type of woman, that type of woman. Black women never really threw it in black men's faces. It was, it was a lot more casual. It was right? a lot more casual. But now, now it's like this tongue in cheek kind of, <laughs> yeah, nigga, these dark skin <laughs> niggas are fine. Yeah, I dated like, Nah, man. Nah, like, like black men, we perpetuated a lot. Black women, y'all have to. Y'all haven't did as much as us. We have. But y'all have to. It's so funny because y'all switching every few years. It's switching. Uh, literally, like, I remember being in middle school and high school and girls were like, oh, I want a light skin nigga. And, right. like, literally, like, we got to college, the same girls. I want a dark man. I want him as black as that TV. I want him as black as my hair. Everybody's like, woke now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and, right. I mean, it's... like, and this is even before, I would say even before, like, being woke became a thing, I was like, okay, I was like, I guess dark skin niggas are popping now. And I'm like, okay, does that mean dark skin women are popping? <laughs> nope. Not oh, quite. Yeah, don't work so like that. Don't work like that. Yeah. So that's even the love. So I'm just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So. I, and, and I mean, I think it's, it's tough, you know what I'm saying? Because I think this is where there's a tension between still like maintaining your own individual personality and mm-hmm. desires and affections towards the things that um, um, you enjoy, right? And recognizing that those things are also shaped by a systemic reality. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's like, we, we, we can't just all be like, you know what, because there's a systemic problem, you don't get to choose what you desire. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to be with a dark skinned woman to, you know, fight the system. It's like, Breed more black babies. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work like that. So there is a tension, though. So like for me, um, like I mean, even even from a from a from a personal um, story, my my most recent ex is biracial, mm-hmm. right? Prior to us dating, I was like, I want a dark skinned woman, um, but I'm open to whoever. You know what I'm saying? And then when we kind of started talking and like 
it started looking like we we're going to date. I was like, dang, like, this is not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, the you know weight of our personal decisions, yeah. like, shit. Yo, for real, though. Yeah, I was yeah, like, dang, yeah. like, this is because, because I've been super vocal about affirming, you know, black women and, you know, uh, black is beautiful and mm-hmm. yada, yada. And I'm connected to a whole lot of people who I knew would have been like, this nigga. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you've been caping for us the yeah. whole time and you're just going to go do the same thing that everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. So I was really conflicted. It's like, how do I make this decision? And I'm like, where is this coming out of? Like, is this out of the way I've been biased by the system to prefer light skin? Or do I really value this woman? And did we actually develop a friendship that I feel like was meaningful to actually pursue into a relationship? And and in a sense, it's either or, you know what I'm saying? It's like you can't fully separate one from the other. So I, I recognize that I was inheriting like an issue that was kind of problematic, but I wasn't gonna like not date her because she was light skinned. Cause yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like that's right, right, that's right. not how we're gonna address it. Yeah. So like um I really just had to check and make sure that I was pursuing her for the right for the right reasons and not just Mm-hmm. Because I thought she was more beautiful than 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 other women, and I mean, um, but at the same time, I'm like, if if you recognize a pattern, you know, what I'm saying it's like you only ask for girls' numbers that are light skinned, then you might want to check like what's going on with you, and that because yeah. our 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 preferences are not immune from being influenced by the environment that yes, we're true. in, and I think Absolutely. that's that's something that I think Western culture sort of makes us believe that we are we are born and we're shaped as individuals and we're not influenced by the, the environment. Yeah, yeah that individualized, like yeah, yeah, neoliberalist. Yeah, yeah uh, that hyper um, it, it focus on the individual. And it, it's, it's just not reality. So no one is immune to these realities. Like no one can say this is just a preference and preference alone, completely disconnected from the systemic reality that we're in. That's just not true. So I feel like everyone is tainted by the like we're all swimming in the same waters, we're all breathing the same air that has colored the way that 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 we view this issue. And we've just got to be honest about that and recognize that we're we're trying and we're trying to be intentional about it, but we're not we're not gonna do it perfectly. There's no perfect way to do it. And I think we need to take the padlock off that issue altogether. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a non-issue. If you're a black man or a black woman and you even date, say you date somebody white, the only thing that matters to me is that you dating someone that understands your culture, respects your culture, and is 100% for your culture. Mm -hmm. Because this is my thing. We have this utopian idea of the black nuclear family raising in a black strong... That's that's nonsense. That's 1950s nuclear shit. But, but, okay, but check this, though, because I I feel like it goes back to the connection to class as well, though. Like, in the sense that, and actually even underneath that, right... I've recognized that for for black men, there is a there is a sense of release and freedom that we can tend to enjoy by being with people of another race mm. that black women are not afforded. Like what would you mean freedom? So in the sense of there's there's a sense of man like. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to think of the best way to, to make this clear because there are unique burdens that a black woman carries by being black and by being woman uh-huh. that we don't understand. You know what I'm saying? That requires a commitment to actually come alongside her and carry together. Whereas you could date a white woman and not have to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? So 
I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of guys who will tell me that dating a white woman is 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 easier, quote unquote. And I'm like, there are reasons why you feel it's easier. Like there are systemic realities that have shaped the way that that white woman has evolved and the way that and and the way a black woman has evolved in society that makes it feel like it's easier. Yeah. But you're 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 trying to escape the legacy. That has been shaped for you, you know what I'm saying? And there's a responsibility to black women that I think black men have to have. Now, that doesn't mean we can't date outside of our race, but I think that just means that we've got to be a lot more intentional about, like, um, I don't know, like the circles that we're in, like actually making it possible to actually be around black women to allow there to be a potential pursuit of a relationship. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because again, the higher in, in class you rise, the less people that look like you're going to be around. And if we're all, quote unquote, pursuing the American dream, and we know that the way our society is structured gives a lot more access to black men than black women, we're literally saying that black women are going to be left behind. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, you're going to rise higher much quicker. You're going to be in circles that are not your race, and you're going to pair up with them much quicker than black women are. I think it depends on what type of black man you are. I think it depends on your socioeconomic status. A black man like myself, I'm not gonna get in them circles. I have nowhere, I have no chance. Well, yeah, true, but I have no chance. Right, but we are like as a whole, we are progressing further up that ladder. <clears throat> like, period. You know what I'm saying? Period. And um black men are advancing at at I think at a much quicker pace than black women because of patriarchy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so what is our responsibility as we move forward? Do we make sure that we're not just sort of getting into those spaces and then saying, hey, listen, I've I've been able to escape the struggle. I don't need to worry about black women's struggles. I just need to enjoy this white women that I'm that, that I have access to and you know build my own beautiful family. Or do I have some sense of responsibility to people that look like me and the burdens that they carry that only I in many ways can understand in a way that a non-black person might not be able to. That's real. That's real. I, I, I fuck with that. I fuck with that view. I feel. Like, I personally feel like the only responsibility that black people have to black people mm-hmm. is by continuing and passing down our culture in a respectable manner. Okay. Because, like I said, you could be you could be Celeste skin tone and get with a white man, have somebody my color. Mm-hmm. That's a black baby. Mm-hmm. I can give it a white woman. That's still a black baby. Society's still gonna look at their child as a black child. So I, I, it's it's just hard for me to subscribe to the date black, only black, all black, everything. When that's that sounds like a old school nuclear yeah, approach. I, that bruh. is that is definitely not what I'm saying at all. Mm-hmm. It's not. But like, so I guess what I'm saying is this: like, put yourself in environments that can allow black love to exist, black love to flourish. That, and I think that's that's something that I've intentionally had to pursue. And because I guess I guess this is my issue. Mm-hmm. I ain't one of them niggas you talking about. No, right. I, I, I'm Absolutely. A, I'm a, I, I think that's why, I'm, that's why I'm having a hard time <laughs> grasping is yeah, because yeah, yeah. I've always been around black women. I, I don't have no other choice. If there, it's a Latina woman and I'm other, if it's not a black woman, I'm right. around. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so I think that's the problem I'm having grasping with yeah. because- being born and raised in it, and right. that's where I have forever been. Like, yeah, yeah. 
I get what you're saying because I see, but I know brothers that do to that shit. They climb up the ladder, forget it. It uh-huh. is what it is. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? This struggle's no longer my responsibility, right? Yeah, and there's some niggas, they, they bask in that tokenism, bro. They right. bask in that right. fetishism, bro. And Dude, that shit is intoxicating. Weird. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird. Weird. It's an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good weird. for like this long. Yeah, this yeah. long. This long, bro. So, I don't know, man. It's tough, man. That's tough. It's, it, I ain't gonna lie. You, you, I feel what you're saying. I definitely feel what you're saying because I've seen it happen. I just haven't had it happen to me personally yet. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what you, I like so much of what y'all both said, especially about like systemic realities of like, um, to me, preference is much longer than just like your preference. Like, cause I feel like your preference at the end of the day, I think it's, you have to always have a healthy understanding of your preference, right? right. And how society is going to shape your preference and how that's going to um, really facilitate who you pursue romantically, who you want to have children with, what you want your children, like even if you don't even want to have children, like who you want to be with, mm-hmm. how you want people to perceive your relationship, how you want to personally perceive your relationship. I think that um, preference to me, like, Damn preference, really. It's more so can you look at like the systemic realities of colorism and racism and why certain people are disregarded and treated differently than other people. You know what I'm saying? I feel like once you can get to that point, that's a healthy step in the right direction because at that point you're dating, you can date who you want to date while also understanding, okay, that doesn't mean that I'm turning, I, that I'm, I'm supposed to, that I can, that I actually can turn a blind eye away from what's happening in regards to colorism, in regards to racism, in regards to various ways that, you know, these oppressions that are rooted in white supremacy kind of float around. But I also see what you're saying as far mm-hmm. as like, and I'm looking for like a, the same way that you said it and even like a, a, a better way to say it as far as like putting yourself, I don't even know, oh God, I'm like I'm really struggling. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's more this, your preference is shaped by your environment. Right. And if we recognize that the environment that we've been shaped by is one that is sort of white normative, right? Being in an environment that has a spectrum. I think. Right. So, like, instead of an environment where, like, you as a black woman or a black man are put into, like, this, you've, you know, you've, you've climbed a ladder of success and you're there, you've made it, whatever it is, you've gotten to that place. And everybody around you that you would be that's eligible to date doesn't look like you. Right. Doesn't share the same experiences. They may be a person of color, but they don't share, they don't share the same experiences that you uniquely have lived as a black person, a black mm-hmm. woman, or a black man. Mm-hmm. And so being in a space where that spectrum is available to you, and I think that comes with, you know, ultimately that comes with dismantling oppression mm-hmm. and dismantling those systems that shut out black men in various ways, that shut out black women in various ways, so that, you know. I can be, you know, the CEO of a five hundred, a Fortune five hundred company. I can go to like a meeting. And I can see the other people that look like me. Mm-hmm. I can sit there and talk with you, you know, and chop it up with you, and know that you've had the same experiences as me without being like, okay, well, I gotta go to this meeting. I gotta whiten it up, or I gotta, you know, act and mm-hmm. look a certain way in order to be considered attractive or palatable or you know acceptable in some some shape or form. So I do get what you're saying. I think, mm-hmm. and I agree with both of you. And I think what happens. When you like really take preference out of the picture and think of like these issues, not so much as like what you actually prefer, but.
But why are you, why is that preference? Why do you have that preference and what about your environment has facilitated you having and shaping right. that preference? You right. Know? right. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah, cause to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that most of the black men that I know when they're being honest, prefer light skinned women. That's just I'm crazy. like, there's, there's nothing innate about preferring light skinned women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if it falls in line with the narratives that our environment has, you know, presented, then clearly that preference is not coming singularly from you. Yeah. It's coming from your environment. Yeah. Uh-huh. We, we, you know what I'm saying? We've got to be intentional about pushing, pushing against that and almost like allowing yourself to develop new, a new kind of preference. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of psychological internal dismantling <laughs> that sure. a lot of people, uh, a lot of people don't have the will to do, bro. Because what you say is makes perfect like, sense. Dude, like, it does, it this does. is this like real talk. This is one of the reasons why I got off of um, Instagram. It was because like the perceptions and the the representations of beauty I recognized were polluting the way I looked at women. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm like, this like I do not want to develop this kind of a preference yeah. based on what is sort of like. Presented on, on 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 Instagram, so I'm like, listen, I'm a I'm a disconnect from that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because like, you spend so much time on it, it's shaping the the expectations that you have of what a woman should look like. And yeah. I'm like, I want to interact with a much more diverse pool of uh, 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 visuals of beauty so outside I, of I, that frame of like. Uh... Because, I mean, that, that really is, like, the beauty culture on Instagram is huge. Right. Like, and it really does, and it, it shapes the way that we and, dress. And, and, it, and it skews towards light-skinned women. It does. Yeah, it skews heavily towards yeah. light-skinned women. It yeah, does. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, even, 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 I mean, and this, you could probably speak more on that. Like, even sort of makeup culture, mm-hmm. like, I recognize, like, people often look lighter than they actually are. Yeah, it's yeah. only recently, like you know, the reason Rihanna's uh, Fenty Beauty right, line was such a big deal. Different tones, to be able that's to match the skin color and all that. Yeah, that's the reason yeah. it's such a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. and like, it's not like she's the first person to do that. Can we there talk were makeup lines before that? Can we talk about the capitalization of colorism too, and oh, how yeah. and Same. how uh, uh, it's it's if I was a capitalist, you know how dark skin is in it's it's, it's the shit right now. Mm-hmm. There's money to be made off of that, absolutely. Which is also probably another reason why she did that because. Mm-hmm. Increasingly, black women, like, we're more visible than we've ever been right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We set the trends on Instagram. Clothing, makeup, hair, that's us. Now, do we see any of the actual capital profit and the material wealth and the access to that wealth? Probably not as much as we should. No, not even probably. We don't. Side note, too. Black women, black gays, set all the trends. I don't give a fuck what nobody say. <laughs> it's been like this since the 60s, 70s. It has. It's been like this. But I say the fucking 50s. Yeah. If you really want to be for real, because you can't sit and tell me that. Characters like Lil Rick should and people like that. I was just about to say his name. <laughs> just about to say his name. But yeah, keep going, keep going. No, but I mean, uh, just it it's profitable to appeal to us right now. And they know we'll spend money on that. And they know, like, I mean, ultimately, it just boils down to basic marketing and advertising. Like people want to feel good about themselves, people want to feel cute, people want to feel sexy. So we'll, of course we'll spend that dime. Yeah. And I mean, that's I think, I don't think Rihanna, I, I I feel more comfortable that Rihanna did it because she's a woman of color. Right. Now, Kylie Jenner <laughs> put out a line and immediately, immediately Twitter, Instagram, everybody butchered her and said, well, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You're only doing this because Rihanna did it. Yep. But Kylie, and I don't, I don't, I don't fuck with them. 
the, that whole family, I just, yeah. I can't yeah. for yeah. so many um, different reasons. Sponsor say you. Yeah. Sponsor say you. No, but, uh, I mean, she Cap- did capitalizing that. Capitalizing off black people. No. Like, yeah, the Kardashians have done that No, like, me and my friends have this conversation all the time. We know, like, the Kardashians are marketing themselves as light-skinned black women Precise. to black women. To black women. Into mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. To black and women. so, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, she she came up with that line. I was like, well, I was like, yeah. I was like, I kind of feel like she did that to make money. I'm like, well, of course she did to make money. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Because we're the ones setting the trends. Like, you know, you have, like, beauty bloggers with, like, millions and millions of followers uh, reviewing her products. Mm-hmm. So we said, like, I mean, it definitely, people definitely capitalize off of colorism. And if colorism is solely being viewed, viewed as an insecurity, then I mean, yeah, all of our insecurities are being played off of and they get capitalized on all the time. So mm-hmm. I mean, Instagram, it's interesting to hear this, to hear you say that. Like, I've actually, I have come across several people in the past two years who have been like, I just had to like leave that shit alone because it started to skew the way I look at myself. Like, the way I look at other people. And I, it's really interesting to hear you say that just honestly, but. Right. Um, oh, Lord. <laughs> Instagram. Oh, man. Good stuff. Yes. So, did y'all have anything else y'all wanted to add to that topic? Because, I mean, that's such a broad. Yeah, it is. I'm by now. Because uh, I think we some more stuff we got to cover, too. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, the last question I have for y'all is kind of like, just to tie everything in. Um, so colorism affects us personally and it affects us communally as a whole. So what do you, what do you personally feel is the best way for you to personally heal from colorism? And what do you feel is the best way for our communities to heal from colorism? When I say communities, like I always want to expand, not just to, not to talking, not just about, the black American community, because colorism exists, you know, basically wherever colonialism and imperialism have existed all over the world in different ways. And so I want to expand just to say, like, how do you feel like as people, as black people, we can um, heal personally and communally from colorism? And that's a lot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, personally. I think that uh, understanding why it's there, this is anybody, understanding why it's there, understanding to piggyback off the great ass point he made about the shit that's in place to make us think, understanding that first is a good first step. Mm -hmm. That's a good first step. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I think, and I guess it's the community part, do I think that as a whole we'll ever hear from uh, colorism? No, because to play to what we just to to piggyback on what we just said, it's money to be made off that. Anytime there is money to be made off of something in America, the the end result is gonna be the dollar bill. Mm-hmm. People are gonna be there to capitalize, we're gonna be there to, to to take advantage. Uh being a Black Panther is cool now. We're gonna sell y'all Black Panther shit. Uh being a nineteen fifties light skinned housewife mother is cool now. We're gonna sell y'all that shit. We gonna like so it, it, it makes me question the very nature because capitalism rules everything. And mm-hmm. even if we solve like I said, sexism, racism, whatever the fuck, classism is the long the last Fucking it's the father of all the, the isms. The father of all the isms is <laughs> classism. 
And with that being the underlying issue and with America being a country of hustlers, with us being capitalists, I don't think we can ever heal from it. You know what I'm saying? You can ignore it. You try to suppress it. But with consumption being the way it is, with us being a consumer nation, black people included, mm-hmm. right. I don't think we're as a community we'll ever heal. I just think that as an individual, you have to understand it's a system in place, why it's in place, and correct your behavior so you don't add to that shit. Mm. Yeah, mm. for sure, for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that's good, man. And I mean, to that last point, you know, I think really developing the discipline to detach yourself from the benefits of the system. You know, because yeah, like there's a reason definitely. why the system in place works, mm-hmm. right? It it provides benefits to the right people, and it erases or uh, limits the voice of those that are on the losing end of it. And so, like, I think um, recognizing the nuance that exists within within blackness itself, you know what I'm saying? And the uh, power dynamics within blackness. So I have a unique um, level of privilege as a black male that black women might not have, that black women do not have, right? And light-skinned black women have a level of privilege that dark-skinned black women do not have. I think a lot of those conversations can often be like, you're trying to silence me. Yeah, you don't yeah, know absolutely. me. We all black. Yeah, always, that dialogue yeah. always boils yeah. back. Yeah, <laughs> like we all black. Like the problem is them and yada, 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 yada. Which on a grander scale is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But like looking at, so going back to my first point of like detaching yourself from the benefits that this system provides in the sense that even as sort of like blackness is sort of, becoming a lot more, uh, I mean, it's, it's always been mainstream, but a black aesthetic is becoming a lot more immersed into sort of mainstream pop culture. It's starting from the closest attachment to whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you are a light-skinned actor, right, or actress, recognizing that you're being picked for a lot more roles than your homeboy who's, who's dark-skinned, who you know is way better than you. Yeah. It's like, what is your responsibility in that point? Like, do you say, listen, I'm just trying to get it. I'm just trying to make it. This is the way the system works. Hey, this is my big break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recognizing that your aesthetic, right, your light skin is working for you in a way that is negating the success of your brother. What do you do in that moment? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. But having a posture that is detached from the benefits of, of the system, right, recognizing that, listen, like, progress looks like all of us being able to move forward and the ways that I can intentionally even deny the benefits given to me. To afford it to someone else, I should be able to do that when possible. You know what I'm saying? I think sort of having that understanding within ourselves that, listen, like, this is how the system is set up to to function. And even as we try to to break it down, those at the top are the ones that are going to start enjoying the benefits the most. And there's a tendency for us to forget that the folks underneath us um, that needs to be brought along as well. You know what I'm saying? So there's that, but I think on a personal level, like really being intentional about what you consume, like legit, like yeah. do it, do an audit of like all your sources of influence of media, where you go hang out, yeah, like do all of that and recognize like what is the makeup of these environments and how are they influencing my preference, what see the virtuous, yada yada yada. So like I intentionally had to start reading books by women authors. I intentionally had to start reading books by black women. There was a podcast that I that I listened to by three black women 
that initially, bro, like it was like it was it was it was new for me, bro, because like sitting down to listen to three black women talk for like two hours. It's just like, you know what I'm saying? So you're, really, you're going you're, into this intimate space that you've never really that been. That I've never been, and I felt uncomfortable, yeah. and there was this kind of reaction of like trying to put something negative to it. Like, man, y'all, y'all. You're trying to find some shit. Yeah, find some, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you guys laugh too much. Y'all are not staying <laughs> loud. Something, you know what I'm saying? And that, but I knew that that reaction was like ingrained in me by the environment that I was in. And That's I was true. like, stick with it though. Stick because there's nothing that you consume. That puts you in, a, in an environment to listen to the perspectives of That's black true. women. And once I stuck with it, bro, it's one of my favorite favorite podcasts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I've re-engineered sort of my preference because I've allowed that to sort of enter my system now. So now I'm not reacting to it in a in a in a negative way. And but you've got to be intentional about like pursuing those kind of things to mm-hmm. to almost evolve as a person. The unlearning, the right. unlearning of all this shit. You right, bro. Mm-hmm. You right, bro. And it's a lot of people. They, the discipline to remove yourself and immerse yourself into something that you usually wouldn't. I totally agree with that 100%. One point I did want to make, mm-hmm. um, and y'all touched on it in the last, when you did on colorism with the light skin sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never seen tokenism like I've seen Chad with Boswick tokenism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never seen that shit before. She uh, talked s- about that. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. never seen you. You know, you know I mean, about that. Like, right? You mean like just because he's in like everything? Like he's like the. I mean, but yo, it's but it's it's always been like that though. Like it was uh, what's his name? Uh, Denzel for a minute. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like he's the new Denzel. Hold on, but let me tell you the difference between Denzel and uh, <laughs> this dude. They got him playing historical figures, bro. Denzel never played no historical figures. He did. Well, he played Malcolm X. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> he, that's around the same. Malcolm X now. Malcolm Denzel X. and Will Smith were like the token black actors for for like a decade and two decades. See, bro. but this is the thing. And they they getting old now. Were they so. ever casted wrong? What do you mean? Oh, well, I mean never. But that's because. But that's because that was good though. Like like they were. They're both really good actors. Why is this Chadwick man? Boseman. He's he's alright. Bro, but but he's no. Playing, he's to playing. your point though, he's in everything, even though he's not that great. He's playing a man my color. Yes, that oh, takes oh away from his story. Like Marshall. Bro. Yeah, uh, yeah, that yeah, takes yeah, away yeah, from yeah. his story, bro. Because no, you're right. Because I just kind of go back. Once I realized that society treated me as a black man, I was like 14, 15, from the age of like 15 to 18. That's when I really, really started realizing it. Especially once I started driving and getting pulled the fuck over and all that kind of shit. That's when I really realized it. With that being said, I started looking for black men that looked like me mm-hmm. in history. Mm-hmm. Right. Muhammad Ali was one of the first ones that I can really think of. Uh, then I started digging a little deeper. I started finding about W.E.B. Du Bois, Adam Clayton Powell, mm-hmm. Thurgood Marshall. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And in particular, Thurgood Marshall and Adam Clayton Powell. Um. You can kind of add it to Du Bois too, because he kind of represents uh, uh, the talented Tim. The talented Tim shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can kind of say it about him too. These men were in these spaces because of their skin complexion. Right. Adam Clayton Powell would go from the black school he went to in his first couple of years of college, catch a train to go to Colgate. Mm-hmm. He was accepted in the Colgate because he passed the eye test. Mm-hmm. Wear his hair slick like a white man, right, had the right. fucking mustache, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't until you really got up on him and started talking to him mm. that you realized what he was, you know? That's an important story to tell. 
That's extremely mm-hmm. important you. to tell. If you. we are going to ask people to remove themselves out of themselves, we got to give them examples of how this shit really did play out. Gotcha. We can't keep beating a dead horse with a stick. It's mm-hmm. the same story. If there isn't a light-skinned man playing a light-skinned judge who got this position, if 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 fucking Thurgood Marshall was Clarence Thomas color, we wouldn't have it. Right, 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 it wouldn't right, be right, it, bro. Right. It would And even Clarence right. Thomas was uh, benefited from tokenism because Daddy Bush had to replace Thurgood. Daddy Bush or Reagan had to replace Thurgood. Hey, let's replace him with another black guy. Mm-hmm. Another and, black and guy. They picked, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, uh-huh, they picked sure. the complete opposite <laughs> of what that good was. But I feel like that's important because no, you're right. it adds to the detail, the right. context, yeah, 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 yeah. how history works, everything we've been talking about here. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And it just takes away from that shit when you got a hot actor right now playing in a role he shouldn't be. Another, uh, the Nina Simone oh, shit. I just about to bring that shit up. Oh, Come that on, shit man. kills me. Uh, Nina Simone, entire, her entire career, uh, she fought against that shit. Uh, and you know that, you know what? Her and Chadwick, what that plays into? Motherfuckers getting in the spaces and doing the right thing, bro. Mm. They got a responsibility as a black person to black culture mm. to do the right thing. Right. To just be like, damn, Thurgood was a light-skinned dude. I can't do this shit. Nina Simone was a black woman who fought against colorism her entire fucking career and didn't get to really reap the benefits of her success. So after she died. After she died. After she died. I'm just like, that that really like, that is one of the most, uh, for me, because I love Nina Simone so much. Because Nina Simone, like her work was just so profound. And she really spoke to like the profundity of being a dark black woman. And then to like, and I just, you know, as as far as like when it comes to like these types of films, mm-hmm. I'm very serious about people portraying these people true to life. Yep. Thurgood Marshall absolutely was able to reach the level of success that he reached because of his complexion. Yep. Nina Simone, the reason that she made the kind of art that she made, the reason that she like everything about her art centered around her her identity as, you know, as a black woman. being like a dark skinned black woman from the South. Yeah. Like, literally, like, she wrote four women. Let me say this. Let me add this. And Nina Simone, like, she was a beautiful person, but in standard, she was an unattractive black people to, an unattractive black woman to a lot of people. Uh Yes, to a lot of black people. To a lot of black people, too. Yeah, a lot of black people. You don't get that art from somebody that's a looker. Or somebody that's right, not going yeah. through what Nina's playing her against uh, Zoe. Zoe, Zoe Saldana. Saldana. Right, right, yeah. Come on. Okay, but but check this though, and because I feel like this is where this is where there's a tension. In. This is what I hear as pushback from a lot of people. Right? It's like underneath the system that we're in right now. Right? Recognizing like again how and whom it gives benefits. Right? It gives benefits to things and and, and people that fit the narrative that already exists. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. They're trying to make a biopic about a woman's story who is who is incredibly profound and insightful and impactful. Do they make the decision to uh, cast an actor that is well known, recognizable, so that the so that Money. there's a draw to the story? Money, but no, but no, but 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 hold up, though. And then the argument is like, if we don't cast someone that is well known, no one will watch the movie. The story will not be told. Like, yes. like the reason they're making the, the film is because they want people to know about her story. So it's like, do we sacrifice our audience, like growing a huge audience for the story to be seen by choosing somebody that people recognize and can be excited about? 
Or do we cast a nobody who fits the role perfectly, but everybody's like, who this? Like, we don't know this actor. We're not going to go see it. My thing is... These, There's almost a lose-lose and a, and, and a win-win, depending on how you look at it. These movies are art. Yeah. Uh, these movies represent somebody's body of work, as well as art. You, you, you do films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the make-or-break thing, if you're so lackluster at making art, that your entire movie, the success of your entire movie centers around one person, but you should not be making that art. That's the system, though. That's like that's that's most of the movies that are in, in, in showing right now. Like they're all built around having actors that are recognizable, that are household names. They're the ones that sell the movies. See, but not, that's another not, thing. Not necessarily. You the wanna know why it's though. inexcusable? Because every movie's not going straight to the big screen. This shit could be some shit on Netflix. It could yeah. be on Hulu. It could but be again, on PBS. You limit There's your audience, so- though. You limit. I mean, so again, though, like, so like for me, like my my personal choice is that I will not compromise. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like there are principles that I need to be able to abide by, or else anything that I gain is, in my view, it's 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 worthless, right? You know what I'm saying? So a way that that played out that I recognize in, in hindsight, right? In film school, right? When I'm when I started to write scripts, right? And I recognized that I was making casting choices based on some deeply racist narratives that I had in, internalized. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like yeah. when I'm writing sort of the hot sex appeal woman, yeah. I'm looking for a more exotic, you know, light skinned mm-hmm. woman, yada, yada, yada. When I'm trying to write the character that's a little more sassy, ratchet, blah, blah, Black blah. Black woman. Now, but, yeah. but here's the thing though the moment you start to, now, this is some. Th- these are messages that I've internalized that everybody in my class has internalized. That my professor, who has studied film, has internalized. If I choose not to follow those narratives, I'm getting a lower grade because they're like this character just didn't feel authentic. See, you know what I'm saying? That's that shit. You know what I'm saying? It's like this character just didn't feel authentic. Yeah. Like I feel like you could have made a better casting choice. It's not telling me that I should have put a black woman in the in the role of this yeah. nasty woman, but I know what that means. So it's like. Do I choose to, you know, work in my art and hone my art and and, and toe that line, or do I try to be authentic, knowing that um, it's not gonna have as much mainstream appeal because everybody's shaped by the same system that you're trying to buck against? Yeah, it's um, complex. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I kind of feel like you know you're you're constantly faced with the dilemma. Like, am I? Because it's, it's not really profitable to be real. Right. You know, it's not right. profitable because people don't want reality. They, you know, people go to movies, they buy all this shit they don't need because they're attached to creating this illusion and creating what they want their lives to look like, what they want to feel like. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of like, you know, it all ties back into like the question I posed originally as far as like, you know, how do we communally rid ourselves, how do we personally and communally rid ourselves? Of these types of notions, and like you know, I think um, just this is this is I this is how I honestly feel. I think very few people are really attached to the idea of dismantling systems of privilege that they benefit from. Yeah, right. And yeah. I don't. Th- I think you know, people who really are, we kind of exist in like a counterculture mm-hmm. because people aren't really like they don't. I mean, you realize you can realize something's bad, but I'm mean, like, well, it, it it shouldn't be that way. But no, I I do I benefit from it, so I'm not going to really say anything. Right. I mean, there are very few um, 
This is why I love Zendaya because she's actually been very vocal. She's like, you know, I am, I'm a biracial woman. She's like, I'm very fair skinned. I'm very light skinned. She's like, but I realize that the reason I'm, you know, gifted a lot of the roles, it's not just my talent. It's because I look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and I think that if I've been given a, you know, a position of privilege and a platform to talk about these things, I need to talk about why some of my darker sisters and darker brothers are not being gifted the same roles. And it's because they don't look a certain way. Yeah. And I think until we can collectively get to a point where we're able to like really look at our personal privilege and say, hey, like this is not okay. We need to, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't fair. It doesn't commute. It doesn't benefit everyone. Mm-hmm. It only benefits me and people who look like me. It only benefits people that, you know, exist within a certain class spectrum or a certain color spectrum that we're not going to really get anywhere. And it's hard to explain to people that they should care about other people. Right. Like people don't, I mean, as sad as it is, you would think, you know, we live, we live in like this, this world where we're like, well, compassion should be like the norm. And compassion is not the norm. That's, that's definitely not the norm. Money is the norm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Profit is the norm. Capitalism yep. has been the norm. And I think it will continue to be the norm. And as far as like colorism, I think we can dismantle it up to a certain point. But I also think that those people who are, who are willing to exploit uh, race and oppression and, and all the all the different isms, I call them the isms just collectively because they all kind of just tie into each yeah, other. And they all right. like you know they all come from capitalism, and so people are fully divested from you know really using those things to their benefit. Then we're not going to really see a change. Yeah, I think that's communally. Now, personally, I, you know, I think you I think you said it the best. Like you have to really be conscious about what you allow yourself to be mentally and emotionally involved in because that manifests itself in like your actual actions and the way that you think and the yeah, way that you really. feel about people and the way that you perceive the world around you. And I think until that people can really learn to like, you know, and that takes a lot, it takes a lot of mental discipline that most people, like I said, they're not going to develop yeah. like that. It's not going to happen for them that quickly. I think and until that can happen, then personally, we'll all be kind of tied to this system in various ways, mm. at varying degrees as well. Mm. Mm. So. Absolutely. And people like tribalism. Mm-hmm. That's another ism. People like being involved. In the group. Or, yeah, whether it's the <laughs> whether it's the successful group of actors that are the tokens, or whether it's the successful preachers, or the businessmen, mm-hmm. or even the activist black woman, and like, mm-hmm. you know, like people. So many different tropes, and it really know. is. And people like being, and that's that's the strangest thing about human nature, especially in America, is that we're a country that prides ourselves off of individuality. But because tribalism has such a stronghold on our mentalities that we cannot dismantle all of right. these systems that right. we've been having conversations yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's 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 funny how all, once you really get to sitting down mm-hmm. and talking about it and hearing other people's opinions from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. all this shit ties together in some yeah. way. Bro. Yeah. All yeah. of it. Because I've been saying what you said, bro. Like, I just don't have enough hope. I mean, but like, but, that, but, that, that people had a discipline. But like, check this, though. And and I think this is this is a really good way to tie it because it really just connected for me is for a lot of change to happen you really don't need like a critical mass you don't need like you know um, you don't need a mainstream change per se you need a core group of people that have an incredible amount of influence mm-hmm. who are willing to do the legwork yeah. that everybody else is going to climb on their backs to enjoy the benefits of yeah. and an easy example of that right is the 
natural hair movement, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In that, I mean, even prior to our generation, right, there were folks generations before who there was, it was not cool, right? They lost a lot of opportunity, but they recognized that I, I need to affirm my own dignity. So I'm wearing my hair the way that I want to. Yeah. And then they didn't really get any benefit from it. But folks in our generation have images that they can look back at and be like, dang, like, that was hella cool. Like, I kind of want to be like that. But even then, before it became cool, there were a lot of women that just chose to do it before it became a trend. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't cool, right? And again, they, you know, guys weren't hitting them up, all of that <laughs> stuff, right? But you do it long enough then catches fire and then all of a sudden it's cool and then all these folks that are just kind of jumping on the bandwagon are enjoying the benefits of the work that people have already done almost them. like uh like politics that are like you just change at the grassroots level right so like right. starting out like very very organically then building as it goes and i i, I totally get what you're saying and I, I totally agree and i hope that um i think that's i think that's probably like that's probably the only sustainable way that it can happen, you know? Right, right. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, did y'all have anything else y'all wanted to add or we had a good conversation? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. good. So uh, we're going to wrap up here, but just once again, thank you for listening in. Again, you can find us at The Slay Less Show on Instagram or just follow or like our page on Facebook, The Slay Less Show. So we'll be de- debuting this episode later on this week. Thank you so much for listening in. Y'all have a great night. Right. That was good. Ooh. That was good. I got an interesting story about colorism too. Y'all familiar with the Nation of Islam? I am to a certain degree. Like I, you know why? All right. So y'all Malcolm X's people. Yeah. Okay. First, he used to. Yeah, he used to be. Yeah. All right. So Nation of Islam was established in the early 1900s in America by Farah Muhammad. Farah Muhammad was a light-skinned brother who was mixed with black and white, 50-50 down the middle. Mama white, daddy black. So Farah Muhammad, how he was spread the word of the nation of Islam is that he was a door-to-door salesman. He would sell silks. Yes, mm-hmm. I've heard yeah. that story before. Silks. Uh, one of the reasons that they say he was able to do that was because he was a fair-skinned brother, uh-huh. and they would let him into the buildings, because if he was your color, mm-hmm. and then speaking the way he was speaking about change and all mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. he was got his ass kicked out the building, fired mm-hmm. from his job, or lynched, mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, I, I, my, my best friends, he used, to be, he used to be a part of the nation of Islam. He's still a Muslim. He used to be a part of the nation. He told me a story, and I want to tell y'all that because we were talking about colorism. You know, um, I've heard the same thing about Elijah Muhammad and then, like, Louis Farrakhan mm-hmm. and, like, kind of like the leaders of that movement. Uh, I mean, shit, even Malcolm X. Yeah, right, very, right, Malcolm's right. like a shade darker than me, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For real, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, a, a lot of the, like, they, would, they wouldn't have gotten, and people wouldn't have been receptive. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. People wouldn't have been receptive to it if it wasn't coming from a Farah Muhammad or Elijah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Elijah Muhammad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, that, that's what's so, it's, it's eerie. Not eerie, but the, it's a... Uh, it's funny. One of the blackest organizations mm-hmm. in the United States of America mm-hmm. pretty much started because of colorism. Right, 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 right. It seeds a planet in colorism. People have said the same thing. You took Dr. Hilliard's class. Uh-huh. <laughs> she, uh, one time, she she was talking about the same thing with Angela Davis and a lot of the black women that were the first yeah. And like, she's like, you know, there was this image of having like these large, loose afro. She was like, but what people don't tell you, she's like, outside people don't know she's like you know black women with like really kinky hair we don't grow hair like you know we don't yeah. have like these big ass yeah. Yeah. Those are women that are either like biracial or 
very, huh. very light skin. She's like, and they were like the forefront of this movement. They were the image. Hold on. Angela, what was uh what was the other one? Uh, uh she's still alive. Asada? She, not Asada, not Asada. Uh 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 she was married uh to uh Elder Cleaver. I know who you're His talking wife. about. She, I can't she's remember her she's first just like name. a taller version yes. of uh of uh, Angela Davis. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you're uh, talking about. Elaine Brown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even uh uh, uh, Rosa Parks too. Rosa Parks, right. even to you have to go even further. Rosa Parks. Uh-huh. Who was the lady? She's a professor at Spelman now. She's like a, a feminist theorist. I can't remember her name, but she was she was really involved and really prominent in that movement back then. And even she is like, you know, a huge hair. And it's just you know, kind of goes back to saying like, in order, I think a lot of these progressive movements wouldn't have happened if people. If like the outside world couldn't have looked at these people and like, oh well, she's you know she's pretty or yeah. he's mm-hmm. handsome, or, like, right, they feel, right, like, right, 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 yeah, like, yeah, 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 and so, so they're somewhat she, more receptive to their message. Huey would have been a fucking druggie if he wasn't a light skinned man. He wouldn't have been this revolutionary whatever the fuck whatever. Cause look at Fred. Look how they tell Fred's right. story. Uh-huh, look uh-huh. how they tell Huey's story. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, crazy. Absolutely, man. So that is wild. That is it's, it's it's crazy, man. I don't know. I'm just I don't I don't how to like the in terms like the discipline you talk about that people have to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even across the board, bro, humans they lack. I mean, we, we I mean we do like we are inherently selfish human beings. You know what I'm saying? And it's like <laughs> as sad as that is, it's real, bro. So I mean, so like for me, man, and I think where it's gotten complicated for me, bro, which is why. Really, over the past year, I've really had to like restructure the way that I think about a lot of these issues and even about blackness because like these issues exist across the board everywhere. Like, I, I just I just went back home um, this past Christmas, bro, and like there's a huge ethnic tension in Nigeria. You know what I'm saying? And the folks in the north, I mean, it's, it's, it's wild, bro. Like, there's a chunk of Nigeria that's trying to. Um, separate and form yes. their own nation. Mm-hmm. There's folks in the north that are Muslims, and there's a faction of them that are extremists, and it's like it could devolve into a civil war. So like I'm over here, and like we're talking about we all black, and like we're connected by melanin. I'm like these folks don't care about melanin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the, Histor- the lo- historically speaking, like that is never people like don't understand. You have such a, a, a lackluster understanding of like Africa, first of all, as a right, country. right, in yeah. specific countries, right, and then like the tribes. Oh my god! Yeah. So, 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 like for me, I'm like in this context, I understand how like blackness sort of unifies us and gives us a common identity. But the further apart you are from sort of a strict Western context, that those ties just loosen. That shit you know what I'm saying? Anything. And you can tell too because. We as Black Americans get offended mm-hmm. when well we don't get it. We, we take it as a slight when you have another black. That's why I'm glad you're here, bro. Because uh, having a a, a outside mm-hmm, like somebody from mm-hmm, Nigeria mm-hmm, from like mm-hmm. another country being in that, that's yeah, important. Right. That's totally important. Right. But when you got oh I'm from Haiti or I'm from wherever right. I'm from, and, whatever, and you feel like they're we like. Like, Chill out. Like, like, you're just black, right? Yeah, you're, you're black, just, like... Bro, but stop. so check this, man. So this 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 framework has really helped me a lot. And I actually haven't read the book yet, but it's it's a book by Eugene Robinson, I think is his name, called The Dis- Disintegration of Black America. I've heard of it. I ha- I've been meaning to actually read that. Yeah, yeah, because, like, it, it, it makes sense to me. And he said, like, there's there's four 
um, sort of buckets of black identity sort of within the American context, right? There's the mainstream, which is um, a huge chunk of sort of the black population. So these are folks who are fairly educated, sort of lower middle class, middle class, um, live fairly normal lives, yeah. right? Um, there's the um, transcendent, right? These are people who are incredibly popular athletes. The one white, the ones white people tell every black person to be like, yeah, yeah, yes, you know what I'm yes, saying. Yes, so like, so, so these people, the, the, that category is kind of like transcended their racial identity. So they're known by first name basis, Beyonce, yeah, yeah. right? Tiger Woods, like all these okay. cats sort of exist in their own little sphere. Yeah. Then there's the emerging. And that's split into two. There's um, folks who are biracial, who sort of navigate two different worlds, often who are, you know, are still not fully, can conceptualize themselves as not fully black and not fully white. Um, depending on how they're raised, it could be raised in a white environment or a black environment. So they're kind of neither here nor there often. And then the other part of that emerging context is um, African immigrants. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's where I would fall. Yeah, who also have sort of unique cultural traits that don't fit within the larger mold as well. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah, and they have cultural commitments that are more connected to their home country and where they're from, and not necessarily the sort of American racial narrative. And then the last is the abandoned. And those are folks who are stuck in the hood. Those are folks who all the negative uh, 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 images and expectations. Yeah, the brunt of sort of white supremacy mm-hmm. has been sort of played out in full effect in their reality. Yeah. So mass incarceration, low uh, education rates, all of that stuff. And he presents this narrative about how everyone else in those other quadrants are trying to be as far away from that abandoned category as possible. Because like it's from that category that a lot of the negative connotations about blackness are rooted in mm-hmm. and sort of the image that white people have of black people are rooted in that yeah. abandoned category. Yeah. And so the rest of the other black people instinctively want to be as detached from that as, 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 as possible. Yeah. But like those are the layers in which we're understanding our blackness. And that, that, that made sense to me, bro. Because like if you tell me I'm just black, I'm like, that's not des- descriptive enough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For like me, there's yeah. more to me than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would agree. I would say. Um, well, I still, in a certain, to a certain degree, believe in Pan-Africanism because I understand like colonialism and imperialism. I also understand that in so many different ways, it's naive to boil our experiences down to that because we are so different and we have such different cultural experiences right. as far as like the things that really shape us, the things that really uh, affect our experiences. Mm. So I think that that's actually like a really good way to kind of divide it in like really boil it down because I mean when you look at uh, and what's so sad about that abandoned group is like they're literally abandoned like and honestly that, that's Real a lot life. that's a lot a lot of us a mm-hmm. lot of us that's a lot of us yes. like mm-hmm. we can't say the mainstream is the majority of us because that's not the majority of us I would damn it say the majority of us are the abandoned a little and bit the, really? and, and so. and what's crazy is that I think that's really associated. What's uh, and the most fucked thing about that is like that that doesn't. It's not quantified, and it's not you know. It's not just America. No, like mm-hmm. you look around like the world, and mm-hmm. you look at like mm-hmm. children and some like black children in some of these countries who are like. Yeah. 
I was I watched this documentary about Brazil. I didn't know crack. Listen, like, Brazil. A lot of Brazil has Brazil like will, entire will, cities like that are will, crack will, cities, will, fucking will, crack will neighborhood. Fuck you up. Yeah, yeah this is the in Brazil. Where the most up. black people are outside of outside of Nigeria. Outside of the African continent. Yeah, like Nigeria is the most populous. Brazil is the second most populous black nation in in the world. But like their their own racial history and narrative just complicates everything. Terrible. So Terrible. like when, when when you talk about sort of like the different uh, categories of blackness and skin tone and all of that stuff, there's just so much more complex and like who is regarded as black and who isn't and who is yeah. is, is, is 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 so messed up. Then you throw in the Latin shit, bro. Right. I didn't realize how shit that how real that shit was until I was uh girl from Love and Hip Hop, the little scene she had. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, and I, I that love frustrated the fact me so that she, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. No, absolutely, man. I yes. Because I'm like, you, you Latin motherfuckers should be the last ones discriminating against anybody, my dude. Are you it's kidding? A it's a that's that's how it is stopped. in all of Latin, Latin America, bro. So, like, the, the history of Brazil, of um, the Dominican Republic, was that after um, sort of they won their independence and um, the institution of slavery was Which abolished. Like they were the last country to abolish slavery, weren't they, Brazil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a lot of the elites did was they wanted to widify the country. And so they created policies to invite a lot of Europeans yeah. to come and settle there. They'll give you jobs, apartments, whatever. They said there are too many black people here. Mm-hmm. And want to sort of maintain this elite structure within sort of a Eurocentric aesthetic. And so they intentionally created a policy to invite Europeans to come and like their tourism thing was huge in Europe, inviting people to these Latin countries because we need more white people. You know what And that created a, a class system that still exists till today. That it is. And I actually, now that you recall that, like they've done that in so many different places around the world. India. They've done that in India. They've mm-hmm. done that in Australia. Mm-hmm. Like literally mm-hmm. like taking the little Aboriginal children and, yes. and uh, basically kidnapping them and sending them away to people who couldn't have children uh-huh. so they could decrease, you know, the, New Zealand, the color people. It's, it's, it's wild, man. It really is. Very fucking It really is. Yeah. Very complex. But, yeah, man. I don't think we would have Barack Obama if he wasn't a light skinned brother. For real. Probably Absolutely. Because honestly, we have more. There, there has been a qualified black woman to run for president. Shirley Chisholm. Yup. Chisholm right, right out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yep. That should have been our real she's, president. Isn't she from Houston? I thought she's from Harlem. I don't know. You no, I'm talking somebody else. Barbara Jordan, probably. Barbara Jordan, Barbara that's what I'm Jordan, talking about. Yeah, Eddie. Oh, God. Don't get me started on Eddie, man. She's going to sit down somewhere, man. She's walking history. She'll need to tarnish her legacy. Who's that? Eddie. 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 Eddie